This is Shaka Art Speak. Hey, welcome back to Shaka Art Speak. I'm Gareth Blackwell, as always, my co-host Ryan Latario, and we are back for another episode in our Rethink series. Um, if you haven't checked out those first two episodes, please do. We we start off the series just kind of laying some groundwork for everything, some of the reasons why it's good to rethink things, why we think now is a good time to do that. The second episode was about the myth of the starving artist, or mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe the myth isn't the right way to put it. Maybe it's the the wrongfully assumed starting starving yeah. artist. Um, but now we're going to be talking about something that uh, might make you feel even more uncomfortable than that, which is looking Red- at redundancy in our work. Can you say that again? Looking at redundancy in one, our work. One more again. <laughs> looking at redundancy. In not to our be work. not to be redundant, but um, <laughs> I just have a feeling that redundancy is redundant. <laughs> yeah. The uh, the. I mean, I think it's so. I think you know some some might be listening and I guess wonder like, well, why, what do you mean or why? And I guess I'll start with an anecdote. Um, I I won't name the professor, but I had an instructor where. It's, it's just full circle, but I had an instructor where we, we, we knew what, what painting he was going to make. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, and I liked his paintings, but you knew what painting was coming next. Mm-hmm. And I've sort of become that guy. And I used to mock that a little bit, but I've become that guy. But so I think I under, but see, I think I've come to understand how much is there in the individual making a set of things mm-hmm. that have, um, uh, seemingly minute variation to it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, so I guess it's in my head that there's two things. There's always a press to, to make something that we, we quote unquote, haven't seen before. Mm-hmm. Whoever the proverbial we is, who is that? Who is that? We, I don't know, but right. that we've never seen before. And and that is a pressure and it's a, it's a driver. Uh, but then I look at <laughs> the people that have uh, had a sustained career and there is an element of redundancy to their work. Yeah. repeatability uh predictability and you know we can we get bored and not bored with them but they just keep chugging along mm-hmm. in almost indifferent to my boredom or not and so in my mind it's like i think we you know i do think that's that's a conversation to rethink a little bit to kind of hatch out here is um because i'm in the you know in the middle of my own career and um in some ways as a painter i still feel like the my career as a painter, I mean, as a maker, I'm doing a lot of different things, but as a, as a painter specifically, I still feel like that's ahead of me. And I've been very patient about, mm-hmm. you know, why and what, but my kind of, uh, visual interest in, um, sort of aesthetic understanding the, the compositional makeup of my work and, uh, color, color impulses, the reasoning, a lot of those, th- those things have not wavered too much. They've just sort of marinated and deepened in terms of conviction. Mm. And it's actually taken time to, to like, because we say things like you can't microwave yeah. a lot of things, you can't microwave this. So in a lot of ways you can't know until it's time tested. And so time, if you're always abandoning ship on a set of ideas, you never know if they will te- stand the test of time. No, that's real. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, totally. Um, and I think, you know, the, it's it, it's interesting because when you're talking about this, the thing that comes to mind is that we could have two different listeners out there who are right. going, who are breathing a sigh of relief and saying, "Oh, whew, yeah, so maybe being redundant, okay, all right," because I've been fighting it. Yeah, and there might be other folks who are just like, "No, no, no, yep, don't want to listen to it. I have to be original." And so the place where where I land in kind of a spot is that, um, you know, if we are looking at a career as a maker, 
career as an artist or a designer as being something with longevity to it, mm-hmm. then um, there's probably an understanding that the things that are preeminent in your thinking as an artist in art school just out your first few years are probably going to be very different than what's going to be a bit more preeminent mm-hmm. and, you know, you know forward facing uh, if you're 40, 50 years into it. Uh, yeah. And I think, you know, with that, one of them is um, maybe what we view originality as. Mm-hmm. And I think that sometimes, uh, you know, being original, being different, not being redundant um, at the beginning of a career, we might look at that as very much prized because, mm-hmm. Oh, this is what lets me stand out. Mm-hmm. But as that career goes on, like when I think of the concept of like trying to be original or like trying to not be redundant in my work, the thing that comes to my mind is it sounds so tiring to just try to be different every time. Mm-hmm. Like it just sounds like so much more work. Yeah. And it means that I'm focusing on something that is going to actually keep me away from really focusing on the work. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's demanding. And, and I think it's like uh, knowing your frame and determining what kinds of demands you're willing to be subjected to in the, yeah. the course and scope of your studio practice, let's say in a studio practice, just, you know, my own kind of realm. And then, and then um, there's another thing that I think is on the table, which is ambition mm. and ambition in context, contemporary context and ambition. So, so you, th- you start to think about scale, relevance and ambition, and you start to think about your audience and, it, you know, the audience um, could be an assumed depending on your level of success and consume a, a kind of forward thinking assumed canon mm-hmm. of, of yeah. evaluators that are, are, are locating your work as much as you're trying to in a, in a, both a historical context, but in a contemporary context. And that's, um, related to, uh, sort of, um, um signifiers of that, which is contemporary for the moment, mm-hmm. a kind of almost like a presentism, like, um, that then gets read backwards into history and asserts itself and you say, okay, this is, it's kind of like, it's like on one side of your mouth saying there's no absolute truth, mm-hmm. but on the other side of your mouth, assuming it's so heavy that you read it back into history, you read it forward in history and you couch what you make as eminently important and, um, and therefore um, uh, utterly contingent upon what people are most vested in. Yeah. Right. So right now, if you look at, you know, um, and I'm not saying these as criticisms. I'm just saying is if you look at the framework right now, discussion is it centers on certain uh, sets of issues: you mm-hmm. know, social justice, uh, identity, mm-hmm. um, uh, equity, inclusion. Mm-hmm. There, there's these factors, and um, I'm not leveraging a critique on that. But what I'm saying is the way that that is being sort of hunkered down on. Mm-hmm. Um, past precedent says that everything has a life. And if it actually takes hold and does a work, it will, it will catalyze a change. Yeah. And so what I think happens is you have makers that are more suited for the ambition of that kind of context, mm. the most eminent concerns. But you have other makers that are kind of uh, under the radar, persistent, and maybe a set of aesthetic values or formal, formal considerations or uh, concepts that are out of focus, out of focus or out of vogue for the time. Mm, yeah yeah but they can't let it go and, mm. and they, they're they're um legacy extending they're investigating and their research inquiry into that practice is not done mm-hmm. and so they're fighting with the tension of this is redundant to um the past and mm. irrelevant to the present you see what i'm saying because the present yeah, yeah and so it creates a conundrum 
And I think that that's why this is partly needs to be discussed because what, what you're not trying to do is negate the most ambitious uh, forward-thinking work. I'm not, I'm not interested in negating that or denying yeah, yeah. the level of depth or complexity or nuance. I mean, there's people dealing with uh, um, issues of geological time and uh, like you said earlier about the Anthropocene, like what age are we in? Yeah. You know, what and, and how does this relate to our environment and the sustaining of the planet? And mm-hmm. there's, there's admirable and important considerations that are being uh, unhatched and uh, put forward. And uh, there's pioneers that are at the forefront of that. And so, but the thing is, I think the ambition, there's ambition and then there's know-how and ability and then there's vision. And what happens is that starts to become a narrower field of artists, if you will. And so then there's, then there's everybody else. Mm-hmm. So in some ways, this discussion is for everyone else. Yeah. Uh, depending on how far away you are from the epicenter of what is most forward yeah, if you will. I mean, cause I, I was, I was going to say just in case it's being misheard, um, what we're not trying to say is that it is necessarily coming down. And this is for any of these topics we talked throughout this yeah, entire discussion. Yeah, yeah. It's not coming down on one side or the other and saying, this is, you need to be redundant or you never need to be redundant. It's very much, it, it is about thinking about it, right? About like, what is the space you're in? What are the considerations? Uh, what are your interests and your passions? What are your skills and abilities? You know, weighing all these things together to know that um, you don't have to just at face value take a statement and say, oh, that's 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 what it is. Like, it, you can actually push against that. Like, um, you know, I think a really good example right now is uh, some of the work that we currently have in the gallery. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Chino talked a few weeks ago on the show about how he was like, you know, I he really hadn't thought like five, ten years ago that he would have portraits of flowers. Yeah. You know, that, yeah. that wasn't a thing. Um, and there, there is a way that it kind of talks to and maybe looked at as a redundancy in, in this space, like you're talking about, like historically. Um, but it's done in a way that is not. And also right. leans into it with such a very specific skill and ability that it's not, it's not hitting in that way. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, if, yeah. if the conversation had been, I can never be redundant. Right. Or I can never just be doing things because that's in the past or it doesn't have enough of an eye to the future, mm-hmm. then those paintings would never have existed. existed yeah, and yeah, yeah. we'd be at a loss for that. Yeah, and that's, I mean, I think, just trying to think, you know, like, there's just so much to say about art school. And the yeah, yeah. reason why I say that is, like, you get meaningful, well-intended, sometimes lazily applied um, encouragements or they're almost imperatives mm-hmm. that, um, you know, the imperative of you got to challenge yourself, you got to grow. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to keep changing. And, and these are assumed as kind of truisms or axioms. There's, it's self-evident and it, right. it's, it's everyone agrees. And, uh, and, and they're communicated to you in such a concentrated way that a lot of people just carry the stuff forward uncritically. And, yeah. the, and so then they may be suffering with uh, guilt or uh, a, a sense of uh, mediocrity regarding their work based on a category of evaluation that doesn't hold. Mm-hmm. Meaning... Oh, so my work right now is not the most direct to the contemporary culture. Therefore, mm, that's a hit against it. And then, then you throw in, I've been kind of working at a set of ideas for a while now. Mm. Um, in a while, always feels like more of a while when you, when you compare it to the expediency of the now. And so, so you, now, you're, now you're doubly doomed. <laughs> you know, and and, and I, you know, it's taken me a long time. So if you look at like even you know, some of the box paintings I, I make now, um, 
every now and then someone will say, oh, that looks like a, like a Richard Roth. But the thing was, I, I was making kind of that kind of painting mm-hmm. long before I knew much about hard edge painters. Like I didn't really, I knew like Bill Al Bankston and, and um, I don't know, a few others. But, um, you know, and, and I was looking at like uh, one of my mentors Linda Day's work a lot and, and Mark Emerson. But the thing was, um, I would hide that kind of painting inside a larger painting. Cause I just, so there was like, I just want to make these sometimes. Like I want to make shoe boxes essentially. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I thought of them as like stages. I like the idea of a box because the box, the shoes inside, you take the shoe out, you put it on top of the box. Now it's a podium. Now it's a stage. Yeah. And now some kind of event can happen. And I, I wrote this once and I remember sharing this, actually telling Richard this and he's like, you should write about my work. Um, and, uh, you know, but the thing was I could see a certain kind of variation mm-hmm. in the redundancy that was intriguing to me almost like it's like a meditation like a sustained practice of focus mm-hmm. and um but my context and my contemporary uh uh sort of succumbing to all those categories i was telling you about like like what is the most eminent what's the most now like wouldn't give me the freedom to just do it yeah and yeah. and i think that's one of the biggest weak points in my earlier practice is is um, I was audacious to try to make things that maybe didn't fit in my academic context, mm-hmm. but I was never at rest enough to just own it completely, almost just completely shed any of my concerns about what critic was looking at my work or you know what professor. And, and uh, it's taken me up until recently to really, you know, the last few years to just be completely free to do that and say, I might make these the rest of my life along with a couple other things. And I've got some some work that fits outside of that. But um, I don't think I've explored all that there is to explore with it. And so that's the, that's the trade-off mm-hmm. is can you be content enough not being in the spotlight that you're not already in any ways, in some ways, right? Yeah. To be faithful to this line of work that has generativity to it or, or great potential or, or there's a kind of intimacy that um, can't be uh, understood without time passing mm. you, you can't you can't foreknow uh, what can only be known through the passing of time mm. you know and uh i think there's a lot of artists that um miss their opportunity by by jumping around too much yeah. by jumping into trends I, oh definitely um you know that was uh one of the things that um I really loved about like Saul Bass and Paul Rand is they were always like, you know, they would say openly to their students, they would tell them like, don't, don't chase trends, you know, don't take trace, chase trends because that's the quickest way to never be original. Yeah. Um, you know, so if don't go chasing waterfalls, no stick to the rivers and lakes you're used to, um, you know, redundancy is a thing. Yeah. Again, right. That's right. <laughs> Those prophetesses were fantastic. Yeah. Uh, so the, I'm um, not gonna lie. I love some, some TLC back. Yeah. Back. yeah. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> tangent moment morning um yeah so a really great interview from them from like the grammys back in like what was it like 89 90 92 Uh somewhere around there and they they got up and they were just like we're the most successful women ever in Uh music and we're broke yeah it's a it's a hurts dude it is a it's a a, total tangent that's how new new edition i didn't know that groups weren't making money dude they were getting robbed blind robbed blind so horrible and it's yeah it's like you don't make money off albums you make money off tours. Off tours, and then and then their and you agents were life. sucking all that money out of them. Mm-hmm. New Edition was living in poverty. Yeah, dude, with gold records 
in poverty, dude. That's nuts. Yeah. And here's the thing. Corruption is real. Bringing it back around. I mean, yeah. like you pick up a TLC album back in the day, like you knew what you were getting. You knew what you were getting. Exactly. You know, there was a redundancy yep. to it. Yeah. Right. There Consistent was some, there was an enough. internal consistency. That's right. To what was going on. But they weren't giving you the same track. It wasn't the same beat. It wasn't the same yeah, thing. There's very there was a very different rhythm of what was going on. Mm. Um, you know, all the differences that can happen into it because I think when you get into a space of making where you're actually doing it well, you yeah. understand how how much of a chasm and how large yep. making is. Right. So that like what you were saying earlier, yeah, someone may look at it in passing and generally say, Oh, that's that looks very similar. Right. But once you dig into it, it's so much more than that. So because, much more than that. Yeah. Because there is such a larger expanse within yeah. that. Um plus how many how many how many redundancies do we experience in culture that we don't actually bat an eye at? Oh yeah. Seriously. I mean, like the yeah. yeah, the majority of the majority of categories are laid out through repetition to the point that it becomes a given and then an enjoyment or a benefit, if you will. And and then, you know, then you want more of it. And, you know, so you want more, but you want, you don't want extreme variation. You want, you want, I guess this is the thing is I think one of the key questions in the, the, uh, or one of the key thoughts into me in the issue of ambition and audience is that we assume such a flat audience Mm, and the audience is more variegated and nuanced than that. And so you have like your most immediate audience, Mm. which might be like your friend base. And then maybe you have like your most contemporary audience, which is people that are um, uh, um, sort of parallel to you in their practice that, mm-hmm. you know, that, that are doing similar things. So maybe they show in a gallery downtown or in a neighboring city um, and you get lumped together in curated shows or that kind of thing. Um, and uh, that's, a, that's an audience. And then you have your writers and your curators and that's an audience, right? Mm-hmm. Then you have your collectors. And collectors... Um, I, I think there's more collectors that probably prefer knowability mm-hmm. with a mix of fresh and newness, you know, and then there's some that are really eccentric and they, they set the tone for making people something. And then there's this larger audience who actually typically is going to take a lot longer to even see your work. Yeah. Which means in order to be seen, there is this visibility that comes through persistence that finally reaches this wider audience. Mm-hmm. And that's a dilemma that galleries face. Yeah. A lot of galleries will fight with artists and I'm, you know, curating and being a maker, it's like you're sympathetic. Like um, you'll go to curate a show and the artist's work has changed so much you you don't feel good about showing the work. Yeah. You know, I mean, or you're like, I can't co-sign on this. Like, or and then there's sometimes where the gallery is oppressing the creativity of the maker because yeah. they haven't structured their their conversation and their contract very well mm-hmm. to say, hey, listen. I can agree to making this work consistently. Right. Um, but if there's a point where you're, you're, you're not in it, I mean, maybe you lay it down, you know, mm-hmm. like maybe you lay it down for a season. I mean, it's, it's so the point is it's a very nuanced discussion. Um, but what gets thrown out is, is oftentimes, I just don't feel like people put enough of a, a positive spotlight on the. No, the, definitely uh, not. Redundancy I think that's piece. really the, uh, the big part of it is, um, you know, to your, to your point when we first started talking, the, if you look at your favorite artists, the people that you follow, like, um, there's probably a, a type of expectation yes. and that expectation is built up in several characteristics. It probably is, you know, skill. It might be scale. It might be medium. It yeah. might be a number of things, but it's also going to be something closer to redundancy. Yeah. I mean, when I think about Philip Gusson's work, Oh yeah. Someone I love it there, you know, what colors, you know, if I think about Albert Ulan's work, who I love, I know, mm-hmm. I know what to expect from him. Um, if I think even about uh, certain contemporary artists that 
have great variety within their work, Mm -hmm. there is a underlying template of expectation that has a redundancy to it. I mean, it's, it's really hard to be, uh, um, like I know what a, what a Roxy Payne sculpture is going to look like. I know you, you, you know, and don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think that there's a lot of makers who are never going to be in a particular canonized spotlight far more than there is that will. And I think, if anything, my hope would be to help people feel better about staying with what they care about the most and, yeah. not, and not actually uh, uh, assuming it is mediocre, assuming it is, is redundant. Like, so if I could go back to my old self and, and looking at this former professor, I would say, I'm actually really impressed that they're continuing to make. Mm-hmm. And I'm impressed by the volume and output and quality. And they keep bringing out a, an experience that is worth bringing to people. Right. And um, when they're done, that's what's going to be there left behind. You know, when they move on and they pass on. And, and then that work's going to accrue even, even a, possibly a different value, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I don't know. I, I spent so much time feeling guilty for wanting to make kind of what I make now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's real. And I, you know, as you're saying this, I am cataloging certain folks who, you know, I, we've spoken on of them before in the past, but you know, it, you can pick out Aaron Draplin's thick lines that he's designed or somebody who's kind of a disciple of his, who's just kind of piggybacking off of him. Uh, because it is his redundancy has actually made him more iconic. Yep. Because there's a there's a volume and a weight. Yeah. Uh, within a body. Right. Uh, with that redundancy that that reinforces what's going on. Yeah. So if there is a good reason for making the work a certain way, as that is multiplied over time. Yep. Then that reason becomes even more weighty. You know, same thing. Uh, Peter Voth, fantastic designer, illustrator, and does. Uh, kind of modern woodcuts digitally and his stuff is phenomenal and he does all kinds of things but it has a redundancy to it it has a type it has a uh a thing that is going to be you know really good quality work right um but i can pick it out i can pick it out in a crowd no problem right um you know, and then like Stefan Sagmeister, he's always going to be doing some weird. I always things. love hearing it's, the word Sagmeister. Yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah. It's like uh, that's his, like the bet. <laughs> Stefan Sagmeister. Yeah, it's an incredible name. It really is. Like, dude. why couldn't my mom, mom? I love you, but why couldn't you name me Stefan Sagmeister? Stefan Sagmeister. I think Latario. I think I'd be more successful right now. <laughs> Maybe that's we need to rethink our names. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's your artist name right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, his you know, his experiential typography, the stuff he's going to do, this is really off the wall. Um, it has a different look to it, but there's something something about it is very redundant. Yeah, uh, you know, whether it's foam cups and a fence, whether it's carving stuff on his body, right. whether it's whatever it is, it's it, it's going to be uh, something that stands out. Um, now, one thing I wouldn't want people to do uh, is necessarily say there that that when we say redundancy, we're saying style. I think that's a completely different conversation. Yeah, to talk about style and yeah. just to just superimpose those things and say, oh, redundancy is style. Uh, they relate heavily. Right, right, right. Um, but I think it's another conversation Not one for another day. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the, the, the thing, of, I think something else with redundancy is that um, you cannot be redundant until you've actually examined the work that you're doing yeah, and I think know where you land. Yeah, I think, and, and I think um, an, an, uh, a hesitancy to, to set up shop and then vacate quickly in a studio practice. Mm-hmm. I think one of the big big ideas there is that, and that's why I said ambition and scope are are an unknown 
quantity in this. Like yeah. some people have great capacity, great opportunity, and and great ambition, mm-hmm. if you will. Um, and so so they're going to be able to uh, expand and and do. Some people don't. Eat. I think my dad was saying this to me. He said, you know, I say things like this, but he was like, yesterday we're talking. He goes, you know, you're always we're always kind of three steps ahead of where we think we should be. And I was like, yeah, I think we have an overestimated sense of self. Like, so trying to get to where the true self is frees you to, to better uh, think about um, the scope of what you are doing Mm -hmm. and, and, and therefore what you may do in the future, which may be far less than you think when you're sitting in your overestimated self. Mm -hmm. So it's like getting into your proper self can give you a better view to what's possible in the overestimated sense of self. You'll scramble to try to make enlargements to what you should do and then you'll be crushed and you'll never do it. Yeah. All the while the, I think the, the, a better, uh, scaled sense of self will, uh, allow you to submit to the work that you can do mm-hmm. and, and, and forego things that just may not happen in this lifetime. Yeah. Unfortunately, like if you're creative, you're going to say no to something. Mm-hmm. You can't do it all. Very few people can. Yeah, that's true. I mean, there's a few people that are really prolific, but then they're not even like listening to this conversation. Right. You and see what I'm also, saying? They also yeah. probably have, uh, yeah, a very different lifestyle than you may want as well. Sure. Um, yeah. And, and, and so then all of those things, you know, it's like uh, um, there's no place where redundancy, repeatability, if you will. Yeah. A consistency, uh, internal consistency. Like you like your meals cooked with an internal consistency. Yeah. You know, you don't want eggs that are not cooked properly. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, so if you start to really think about it, it it's uh, sort of the... Um, this idea is so embedded in playing out in the majority of our experiences. And yeah. so we lose it with, we lose that with the arts though. We, we want the kind of um, the, it's the, res, it's the residue of avant-gardeism. It is. And, and also it, it, it kind of um, hints at something that says that uh, people don't actually want something that's good, even if they've had it before, which yes. is not the case. Yeah. I love, right? eating, I love Taco Bell. Well, I was just going to say like, yeah. you, you give me meat spices uh, vegetables, sour cream, cheese, salsa, yeah, tortillas. Uh, you put it together in a number of ways. I'm yes. going to eat it. I'm going to love it. And I'm not going to complain about it. Nope. Right? And if uh, and even if I do, that might just be one bad bad bite out of uh, years of, you know what I'm saying? So even, yeah, yeah, even yeah. then, it's like, even if I complain a little bit, I'm probably going to come back and eat it again. Yeah. And if you gave me the same thing next week, I would eat it and enjoy it. Yeah. Because it is a good thing. Right. Um, and I think that's something that we don't, we don't always take into consideration. Uh, we're like, well, the, the value of the thing in a yeah. large conversation of value, yeah. the value of the thing is, is, uh, irrespective to whether or not I should do it. Right. And it's like, no, I think, you know, um, good work that accomplishes the goals set out by yeah. the artist, um, is work that should be repeated probably. Yeah. And I think, I think so then in the, in the, what, one of the goals in this thinking, like anecdotally for me is once you have a general trajectory for what you're doing embrace what you what you're most interested in and then invest in understanding it more completely yeah and, and by investing that means that you're setting up parameters so like so for instance for me there came a point where i was like i i have restraints one of my restraints and i've shared in the past is is mobility mm-hmm. i can't afford to be running moving trucks for giant paintings although yeah. i'm making a big painting right now but mm-hmm. i want to be able to carry these and i want other people to be able to carry these i want these to be transportable i want that as a constraint mm-hmm. you know um i invested in particular brands of paint where I have a, an assurance of a certain quality of finish and physicality in the drying process. Yeah. 
uh, a certain kind of chroma, a certain this all these factors and absorbency of light. These these factors, I use the right kind of tape. I use, I mean, so what I've done is I've honed in all the ingredients, and then it becomes the making and the touch and the fill and what headspace I'm in and what external influencers is it? Am I listening to music or what am I thinking about? What are what are my uh, environmental um, in points of inspiration or, or if you call them, um, points of influence. Yeah. And, uh, and I've set up a space to where I can work fluidly. So I have panels ready to go mm -hmm. whenever I feel ready, the panels, they're ready to be made and painted. Mm -hmm. So, so I've done things that clear space for me to get right to the work when I feel inclined because mm -hmm. I'm no longer equivalent with, should I be doing this or not? Right, right. And so what that's allowing me to do is when I, when I want to, I can, I can have a significant amount of output. And in that output, typically, I don't know, five to seven paintings in, I start thinking differently than I could before that. Oh, yeah. So I'm still working in the, in the large, consistent framework. But I'm I typically get, this is, the, this is my pattern, I typically get to where I start making the best work. Mm -hmm. And then the semester starts. Yeah, and I have to yeah. stop. So yeah. I get with three or four paintings mm -hmm. that feel the best of the bunch, but couldn't have come without the full scope of doing it day in and day out. Right. And I, and I, and I just wonder um, how many people abandon what they're doing prematurely and never get to that space. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, like, totally. Yeah. I mean, you know, within, within design courses, one of the things that, you know, if you've been to art school, um, gone to any sort of design class, you've probably had, I don't know, a billion of the assignments where it is take this one shape and draw 50 versions of it. Yeah. You know, take this one idea and do it a hundred times. Um, and you know, we call that like on the design side of the thing, we just call that, you know, creative ideation. Right. You know, um, whereas it, you know, there is like a redundancy to it. Yeah. Right? Um, you know, other exercises might be, uh, here's a set of parameters. Each time you do an iteration, you get to change one thing. You know, everything else stays the same. Make one change. Yeah. A color, a size, a line, a whatever. Um, and the whole point of that is not something to just like annoy the crap out of you when you're, you know, 18, 19 years old. Yeah. It's actually to start to set up a pattern of, of exploring an idea fully. Right. Um, of doing something comfortably. And what I mean, what I mean by comfortably is being able to kind of relax into an idea and live with it. Because I think... To what you're saying, Ryan, there is a tendency we have um, kind of in this idea of like wanting the avant-garde, kind of being influenced by that. There's a tendency we have of wanting the work to signal something for us about ourselves or our practice yeah. instead of doing the work that will kind of from within itself show that. Yeah, so whatever that work ultimately is going to be and do, it remains to be seen, but once it's done, then it's it's free to do that. It's not preemptively burdened with. Also, yeah. Um, yeah. we want the back security to, from the work instead yeah. of being secure in doing the work. That's exactly right. And moving into yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which again, like I think that there is a this isn't something that happens in your first three years. And if it does, holy crap, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. I mean I, I it takes some time. Yeah, like we I have so you know Ron Johnson and yeah. and um Sally Bowering are both on the Dear friends, and they're both artists I, I expect and respect and admire. And mm -hmm. both of them, I think, would say something similar about like if you look at the longevity of their careers, they've made minute shifts mm -hmm. that have major expressive outcomes. Um, and so there's two things that I think happens when you see. I've been in both their studios many times, enough times to you know 
and love both their work. And so what I, what I love and what I notice um, in both cases is I can see a through hand all the way back to earlier work, mm-hmm. but I see great points of departure. So there is a consistency, if you will, you know, and, and whether that's redundancy or not, but there's a consistency. But what I, what I have seen is every few years you'll see like a variable change. Yeah. And, and it will do so much to the totality of the works that are made. And so you'll see a tension between consistency in the work in the production of making the work and in the investment in the, in painting uh, specifically. Um, and then over time, what looks like uh, groups of work that can live together, but also have very different feels to them mm. just, but, but there's like a flow. It's like uh, points of departure come out of how heavily informed they are and how intimate they are with their practice up to the point of that intervention, that there's some kind of small re, you know, uh, reinventing, if you will. Mm-hmm. But it's really uh, an intimate next step, it seems like, from, from being dedicated and devoted to the work. And so I think that's part of the thing is when you start to set up over a lifetime, there is uh, things you can't estimate ahead of time that you have to just be with the work where you're at and let the work um, as it's being made start to create new demands on you. Yeah. As opposed to trying to jump ahead. Now, again, I can't, I want to just keep saying that I'm not saying that uh, there's not uh, great conceptual thinkers or, or makers that are at the forefront of, I think, contemporary art as it relates to kind of seismic shifts in society. Mm-hmm. And that's a whole other intellectual discourse. Well, I think, but even with that space, like you're still talking about a redundancy uh, because like if we're talking about like a conceptual space, there's probably a redundancy in terms of how you are processing, how you are positioning the work in the same way that somebody who is much more focused on the object oriented uh, maker space, there's a redundancy in in the physical qualities of it. Yeah. And so I think, you know, in in my mind, I can still see this, both of them having similar concepts. Yeah, I agree. I mean, so even if you're at the very forefront, I mean, you're talking about like, um, uh, you know, um, virtual reality and augmented reality and artificial intelligence. And um, there's people's practices that deal with, I just listened to a lecture where someone talked uh, pretty deftly about um, usurping, um, uh, oh gosh, What's the tech, West Coast tech? Uh, Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley. Yeah, my yeah. brain had a, had one of those moments. So Silicon Valley and, yeah, yeah. and like algorithms, and and mm-hmm. so like how do you offset algorithms? And this artist uh, has changed their name to American artist. Mm-hmm. They're African American artist, and they they go by American artist. So even when you try to search the artist, mm-hmm. that creates a conundrum. Yeah, because yeah. what comes up? Oh, it's fascinating. And then and then so then if it, like you start to someone else was speaking, who's hosting the talk was saying like. They, they didn't know if now American comes up in their search and they didn't know if that was because the algorithms were personalized to that particular person searching mm. or if also how do you tell if this person's work is starting to ascend to the top of the, uh, the search algorithms, you know? And, and in some ways, this is part of the work. I mean, this is like yeah, yeah. just a, a sliver of the kind of um, interesting interesting digital space consideration that's that's happening there. And somebody was like, well, somebody posed a question and I think fair question, you know, got pushed aside pretty quickly, but, and I, and they're, they were like, you know, why do you choose a digital space over and against like a fine art space? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I think that was just a young person still not fully, you know, and, and, um, they were like, I don't really see them 
as opposed to each other, you know, like, yeah, but it was interesting, you know, but here's the thing. It's like, um, to your point, like, and not as a critique mm-hmm. is if that becomes the mode of operandi for you, for that particular person, they're going to be making that work the rest of their life. At some point you're going to know. Oh yeah. yeah That's yeah. what they do. Mm-hmm. Just the way, you know, a watercolorist or an illustrator. I mean, we, we may assign less importance to one over the other mm-hmm. in some kind of contemporary framework. And that's part of the, the elephant in the room is, is beholden to that which is being determined as contemporary and most relevant. And that is an ever-changing phenomenon. And so you either wait, you know, wait for your wave, yeah. you know, yeah, if, yeah. If, or you, you, you die a thousand deaths trying to. And then at that point, you're not cutting edge anyways. Mm-hmm. Or you realize that you're not going to be able to say it all. And um, you love to make. And you got some friends that like to look at it. And maybe maybe you get a couple artist lectures at a couple small universities. And you know what I mean? Like, you, there's, there's so many levels of success. Um, but there's so many artists that I think it's worth it if you've got a couple ideas that you can't shake to just go ahead and own them. And, and don't be ashamed of it, you know? Yeah, you know. <clears throat> We mention a whole lot of words over and over again. Um, holistic ecosystem. You know, you, you get a 400-person choir. There's going to be one soloist. Yes. Maybe two or three throughout an entire show. But the the work of making that amazing, beautiful music is going to be based on the individual singers singing their individual parts exceptionally right. over and over again. Right their range of notes in their space of whatever octave they're in. Yeah. Right. And together they make something. Um, and I think that we, you know, we, we've so individualized so many things, some for good and some for bad. Right. But the overall effect of it, when we talk about something like the canon that we are making, I think can be heavily detrimental because we always want to just be the soloist. Yeah. So when you when you look like where's the where are the things that actually create the larger, more holistic, more ecosystem of, of a community of art, um, I think it's a little harder to point out sometimes because right. you say, oh, it's right. that individual, that individual, that individual. Um, I don't know the last time that I heard somebody speaking about a a such and such school of painting. Yeah. Because they were all rocking the same vibe. Right, right. Or, you know, uh, I feel like even the last decade, the idea of like collectives yeah. were bigger than they are now. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, there's, there's, yeah. there's these things that would be about unity or homogeneity or something like that, that we used to be very much about. I mean, you know, like the Vergabond movements and things like that, where people were making in the same ways with the same ideas and the yeah. same thoughts. And it was, it was, it was actually contingent upon redundancy. Right. Right. To give them such a platform. We'll see. I think now this is a big discussion. Like you just opened a huge can. <laughs> so I, I'm trying to decide how far I want to walk into that can, but I will say this to you. We, that is there. But it's there in the, and I want to be careful, it's there in the tightly wedded relationship. So like if you said um, BLM, mm-hmm. Black Lives Matter, yeah, you, you have makers, that's right. it. Yeah, totally. totally so, yeah. so, but the, so the, but the, epis, the kind of the, the basis for 
how we know things and then, and then what we make. So if I can make an, an, uh, a kind of an observation, mm, 10, surely 15 years ago, science was kind of like the driving way for checking, for testing for truth. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, it's kind of like science almost became a monolith, mm-hmm. <laughs> which used to drive me nuts. Cause I'm like, which scientist, right, which yeah. group of scientists? Uh, there's great disagreement among scientists. They're om- almost always a united front when it comes to things like protecting for research funds. Yeah. But when you get down to it, science is not a monolith. It's, it's a, a set of practices to obtain to some kind of understanding or knowledge uh, through testing and theorizing and so on. And so there's great variety there, you know, and there's great uh, disagreement. But science would be used for everything. So it's like science trumps everything. Well, yeah. Science says, and I remember, you know, you talk about religion, science says, what does science got to do with religion? Well, a lot, if you're actually thinking through it well, but that's for another day. But the, um, the point is that in place of science, we are now in the age of, of the political mind mm-hmm. as a ideological framework that is the grounds for identity and creativity mm-hmm. as the most contemporary driver in 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 kind of um and so in with it has all the i think important things Mm -hmm. but it has it has the things that are actually um stifling Mm -hmm. i think anytime anytime you have a reduction and i know i can get in trouble for saying this because because i'm saying it not someone else but reductions are reductions and Mm -hmm. as soon as you start to create reductions you limit not only do you limit other people, but you put a bullseye on yourself because you will fall victim to hypocrisy and to the nature of your own reductions. Mm. You won't be able to live up to it in your own like own ideology. You'll end up poking yourself in the eye as much as you try to poke someone else. Um, it's just a matter of time before someone actually is brave enough to do it. Yeah. And, um, and so uh, that's a huge discussion. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't even know if I'm even un- making sense right now, but um, to really unpack it, uh, would take a lot more time, but um, but the point in that is these kinds of things have been kind of uh, human historical rhythms, uh, and then there's the people <laughs> that just are doing what they do, yeah, yeah. And the people that are doing what they do, I'm not saying these things don't matter, but they're not so beholden to it that they're not also kind of where they're at. Mm-hmm. Um, seem to make an interesting go at it in the long run. Yeah. And that, I guess that's part of the point of the discussion in some way. So, so you have collectives happening, but they are very, very, uh, um, they're, they're grounded in the most um, particularized soil. No, I mean, that, that makes you know sense. What I'm and I'm sure that, you know, the experience of, of that, like even back in the 20s. Yeah. And you were, you were looking at that, you know, 100 years ago. It probably would feel the exact same exactly. way. Exactly. Yeah, you're um, right. And then there's something over time, mm-hmm. the things that remain that yep. uh, probably have a bit more cohesiveness and redundancy to them. Yeah. Because of the nature of time and what stands. Yeah. 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 So that's probably, yeah, that, that, that's a, it's a good, it's a good way to kind of parse that, that idea. Um, one of my questions is one of my thoughts is goofy thought I had just based on this talk that I sat through was like, what happens to things that are locked in place now that are buried hmm. that, you know, that get unlocked later. It's kind of like a prehistoric virus locked in a ice cap. Yeah. <laughs> a bacteria or something. It's like locked in a geologic time frame from a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it's there. 
you know, right there with us. Right. And yeah. if, if yeah. some, if enough things change all of a sudden, uh, this thing from the past, we're not able to handle. Mm-hmm. And it's like more kind of contemporary or more honest than, than we're ready for, but it's in the past somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying that kind of in part as like a metaphor. Yeah. Um, for some of the stuff that we, we kind of, uh, push to the bottom can kind of pop back up at another time. Well, I mean, I, I think it was very much the case. You talk about uh, design. There was such a, a, a gross abhorrence of anything modern for a long time, mm-hmm. a few solid decades, two, three yeah. decades where it was like, give me as much postmodern, as much contemporary, as much, uh, you know, just off the wall, no context, no clue. Right. Um, you know, and things had to become, you know, much more artistic, much more painterly, much more, yeah. you know, illustrative much more whatever right it wasn't uh modernism and then you had people that started um you know in the last decade really being in a place where they're like well there's something about modernism that actually feels kind of good but i yeah. have to I have to be very specific about how i yeah. talk about it that i that i'm not okay with it right that somehow this is very different yeah even if it's employing a lot of the same tropes and ideas yeah and uh stylistic cues yep Yep. And and that's and I think it's hard because you, you shouldn't have to have that conversation. Like if it if it works, it works. If it's good, it's good. If it rocks, it rocks. Like do the thing. Yep. You know, there should be that freedom. Um, the freedom to be redundant, the the freedom to look passe and old fashioned. Yeah. You know, uh, and, and that should be an okay thing if what we're actually about is about exploring through uh disparate mediums how yes. we can uh pass creativity into a larger world to establish and enhance conversations and whatever else it might be yeah i mean i mean that's the thing is like can you just be okay with that like i was pulling this up right now i started following this you know my my work's very abstract you know i mean you've you know yeah yeah so um but i like i like illustration and painting i mean i've got like a wide wide appetite and so i started following this um a little bit ago called the golden age of painting as a group Mm -hmm. public group on on facebook yeah dude i'm i get hit with like 15 new posts a day. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. The paintings, there's some good ones, some bad ones, but there's a lot of good ones. But here's the thing. It's a very particular kind of you know thing. But there is a crap ton of artists and work I have never seen oh, yeah. as someone with three art degrees mm-hmm. who yeah. study art history. And it's, it's made me hyper aware, as if we weren't already, but how problematic the canon is. Because mm-hmm. here's all this work that's not a part of the canon. Yeah. Or, or they're, you know, at best, it's just that it was made during this era and all you get is a date, mm-hmm. you know, like the 50s of, you know, Czechoslovakian, right. You know, romantic um, kind of work dealing with transcendentalism or something like that. I don't know. But like the, the, um, that is crying out for like an example of where we're at now. Yeah. And how we're contending with a an assumed canon that isn't really even the best for us in some ways. I mean, it's a way of forming reasonable knowledge, but in in order to be a canon, you are gonna canons exclude people. Yeah. yeah so yeah. that's what we're we're contending with now. And so at some point you just don't worry about canons mm-hmm. if you're if you're filling this conversation and you're wondering about relevance and not. And um, and then there's other people that are really gifted to dismantle canons and re resituate canons, and they're doing that. They're doing it in academia. It's happening right now. Mm-hmm. You, this the whole discussion on decolonizing and um. But once you go to make a canon, you're excluding again. Oh yeah. So Definitely. so 
Yeah. I mean, and so I don't, I don't really have the answer, but here's the thing. I'm looking at all this work and these people are all dead. Yeah. So worrying about this stuff in a kind of indirect way, it just isn't helpful mm-hmm. for, for a lot of us. Like what I mean is, you know, it's enough to just be making on a consistent basis. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's hard enough to be doing that. Dude, it's hard. It's very hard. Yeah. So I think, I think with that license, I mean, I, I don't know if this is a pretty jumbled podcast, episode, I'm not sure. But I, I, my hope is that if you're wrestling with that, to just put the guilt of that aside completely and um, be excited that you can make with consistency. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is a caveat. You know, if the work's really terrible, <laughs> ask some friends about it. Yeah, you know, I mean, real. there is the danger yeah. of being like, I'm just going to make this thing and it's terrible. Like, um, and I'm going to make it 12 more times. I showed my kids, uh, I was talking to my daughter, Ava, who's grown up about, dedication and focus yeah. and practice. And, um, I showed her, I didn't know how to explain to her what I didn't want for her, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't put, I don't push her hard in a bad way. You know, I'm not taskmaster, but I'm, yeah, yeah. I want to help cultivate and prepare her. And, and so, you know, she's practicing piano and I want her to push harder a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. we're investing in it and she says she wants it and, you know, she's a kid, but she needs to push a little bit. And so I, I showed her the top 10 worst auditions for American Idol. <laughs> And she's smirking. I said, I'm showing this to you. And it's funny, but I'm being serious. Yeah. You know, and, and, I, and I was like, why am I showing this to you? And she's like, because you don't want me to become that. I said, it's not just that. It's that these people probably weren't told by anyone to work hard, to practice. Uh-huh. And also, nobody ever loved them enough to say you probably aren't a singer. So, so, and I said, now imagine all of these kids, all of these adults as like your brother's age. Mm-hmm. every parent or family member is probably going to say this is adorable this is cute mm-hmm. but that only lasts for so long at some point there are people that will laugh at you <laughs> you yeah. know and i wasn't trying to be mean but i was trying to give her like a an existential awareness of like what's cute right now yeah. what what i say is cute isn't always the best uh parameter for you no totally you know mm-hmm. you, you 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 can you got to know how to go after it when you want something mm-hmm. if you're going to be a writer because we were working on some stuff she's writing as well so I was like, I'm seeing a connection here between your piano practice and your writing. There's a similar lack. And you've got the ability, but you're not, you're not going for it. You're not digging in. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And that's like, and so we had this great conversation about it. You know, it wasn't really to poke fun at people, but it was to kind of like point out the fact that we oftentimes just abandon people to their childhood, their childlike behavior mm-hmm. as creative people. And then it's stunted in adult bodies. And, and that's a whole thing. You, yeah, you know what I'm saying? So yeah, that's definitely. something you don't want to be redundant with. You need a good, you need some people that can love you enough to tell you the truth. Yeah. That, that's, that's as hard yeah. as it is to hear that. It is. Um, it, it's really hard to hear that, but it's, it's also really fantastic to, to, to be in a space where, because what you're talking about in both these instances, the redundancy and pl- that, that kind of relational space uh, where people will let you know what's up. Like it's, it's, they're both about um, having a consistency uh, with your life that actually grows something. Right. So it's yeah. a, it is a, it's not a, it's not a terminus like these things, you know, Oh, Oh, now I'm a maker. Uh, I've reached the goal. Yes. But these are like, uh, ever escaping mm-hmm. termini. Right. So it's yep. like, okay, it will, it will terminate at some point in the future. Uh, when I am done and all this is stopped, 
but I don't have to be at a place where now I've made it. Yeah. Um, yeah it's not a destination. And I think that's even, even to the point of like redundancy within your work. Yeah. Um, just because you've used an idea once, you're not done with it. Just because yeah. you've used that idea 40 times doesn't mean you're done with it. Yeah. Um, you can always, you can always kind of jump into it more, lean into it more, uh, discover it more, um, whatever else. And, and I think that can be helpful because, um, you know, we've talked in the past and we've talked to plenty of students who've had the same experience that like art school usually doesn't tell them that. Yeah. Art school doesn't tell you that there's a lot about being an artist or a designer that doesn't feel too much different than your normal job. Yeah. It's it's really hard to get people to to, to believe that. They don't like, believe you. Yeah. Because they're like, oh, no, no, this is an escape from the nine to five. And it's like, yeah. oh, it's, uh, uh, it's, someone, you, it's, someone, it's someone lied to you. It's very different because it's yep. not as much an escape as it is a shackling to a 24-7. Yeah, it is work. Because, I mean... You know, if I'm, if I'm just, uh, I, I don't know if I'm, uh, you know, I got a, I got a shop and I'm just selling like hardware, yeah. right? Like shop closes, I'm home. I'm yep. not thinking about it. Yep. It's not bothering me. If I'm not in the studio, if I'm not doing my work, like those ideas are still in my head Yeah, still thinking and they're about still it. sitting there. They're still waking me up at two in the morning. They're still doing that. And do they so, wake you up like George Michael? Like wake me up before you they do. And I'm just like, no brain debris. No. <laughs> 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 um, speaking of Brandy Brie, my daughter straight up hit me up yesterday and she said, Hey, uh, dad, I, I don't, I don't understand. I don't understand why sometimes I'm doing something else and things just pop into my head. And I was like, yeah, that's life. That's called brain debris. <laughs> you, you come by it honest. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, um, I think we have to kind of be more comfortable in that space sure. of like, Hey, this is a, this is a nine to five. Yep. Um, and that is redundancy in itself. And the uh, the practice of making is a redundancy in itself. Yeah. And so why do we want to constantly try to run the opposite way from any sort of redundancy within the work we make? Yeah. So la closing thought. Yeah, yeah. Two things. Mm -hmm. One is we're in a new new space recording right now. Yeah. That's one mention that. Yeah. So and this is relevant. It is. Um I'm gonna tie this all together. It may or may not work. Most people think that artists think outside the box mm -hmm. and what, and that may have been true. That may be true in the future. But what I'm finding is a lot of people assume out of the box without ever knowing what the box is. Yeah, for real. And so their lack of knowing what the box is means they're not even outside the box. They're not even yeah. in the conversation. What's in the box. Yeah. So, so before you get outside the box, learn, <laughs> learn whatever proverbial box that is. Yeah. And so we were in one box with a new, <laughs> you know, with mics and now we're in a new box, uh -huh. right? With a new set of mics and a new set of issues to learn that flow yeah. from the first space into the second space. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, however much that ties in, but, but um, what's informing our decisions in our new space that we're so thankful for has something to do with what was established in the other one. The predictability and redundancies mm -hmm. have given us some frameworks to work with. And then we're taking license with some new equipment some new things mm -hmm. that um hopefully will over time ad advance the quality of our show and you know maybe you know maybe at some point we're actually doing some vodcasting yeah you know definitely yeah if we get a few more patrons patrons shout out to all our patrons by the way it yeah, has grown fantastic significantly yeah. and um we're we want to reach our goals if you if you would take a look at our patreon page mm -hmm. take a look at some of the different tiers you can support us at and, and um, uh, take a look at uh, some of the goals we have when we hit certain uh, financial markers mm -hmm. uh, uh, to fund certain projects and certain steps that we want to take. So um, we're on our way and mm -hmm. we would love more.
patron support, even at a dollar a month, $5 a month, $25 a month. And, and consider, um, um, liking and subscribing to our, our podcast, consider, um, giving us a a rate, Mm -hmm. you know, rate, rate us on, um, with like Apple, Mm -hmm. give us a review. Um, these things actually help to get the word out and get us into a wider audience. And we, we, we want to share more. We want to bring more audience in and we've just got more to do. And, and, um, we're in a great season of, of reset or, or not reset, but, um, next steps, if yeah. you will. Yeah. And we will, we will always be asking for your support. Yes. Because we believe in redundancy. We believe in redundancy. We think and we don't ask thing. for it enough actually. So maybe, maybe what I would say is we, you might hear it from us more now than yeah. you have yeah. in the past. And it's just because we, we really have tried to do as much as we can with as little as possible. Mm-hmm. And we want to, we want to be able to prove to everyone uh, that your support actually matters. We will work with it responsibly and well, and, and it will, it will pay dividends. It will matter. And so I think we've shown that, you know, we're going into year three. Yeah. Yeah. And we've only just started to really ramp up asking for help in any kind of, uh, frequent way. So yeah. thank you for your support. Yes. Thank you very yeah. much. A uh, huge help, uh, a huge, fantastic, fantastic and very humbling kind of encouragement for what we do. Uh, so we're happy to do it, especially because this is not our full-time jobs. No, not this at all. Is, uh, I don't think people realize like no. we have full-time jobs. This is the stuff that we do, uh, in whatever that shred of time is that's left. But if you're hearing this, yes, you right now. And you're, you. you're like, I should go ahead and I want to support them. Yeah. Just stop. Just stop and do it now. It's the best time to do it. Yeah. The link is in the show notes. The link is in the show it. notes. Click on it and let us know that you did. We have cool things to send you. We have some great things to send you. Yeah. Us. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's only going to get better as mm-hmm. you, you journey with us. And here's the thing. Sometimes I know I've heard this from people. They'll, they'll go like, I'm going to go. I'm going to go support these guys and support Shaco Art Space, the whole, the whole project. And then, and then you're like me, your day gets ahead of you and you go out tomorrow and then tomorrow and tomorrow and you never do it, mm-hmm. which totally, I totally get because I'm like that. And so I'm just imploring you today, if you're hearing and you're feeling like I'm going to do this, it's so worth it. You will get some cool stuff. We will be so thankful and it will, it will bless and help us increase and grow in what we're doing. I yeah, promise. And the good news is if you enjoy the podcast, the first few tiers of Patreon are all about more audio content. So that you can't get any other way. No. Yeah. Other some way. stuff that's pretty hilarious and pretty great that you can't get any other way. You won't be able to hear it anywhere else. Yeah, Not even right. on our podcast. So get us up in your ears, do some more stuff with it um, yep. and uh, hit us up on Patreon. But either way, we've got great content for you. We're going to keep rolling with it. Yep. Thanks for joining us on another episode. We love you guys. You're a fantastic audience and we will catch you next time. Peace. You've been listening to Shaco Art Speak, a production of Shaco Art Space. We are an independent nonprofit art gallery in Richmond, Virginia. We can be found online at shacoartspace.com and in real life in historic Shaco Bottle.